Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 50, entitled, Love is the Answer, Part 3. Hello, welcome back. Our midweek study, Pastor Bill's Classroom, and uh, we are studying the subject of love. Uh, the description that's given to us in 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, so if you would like to turn there, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to be reading much of it because we're just jumping from one descriptive to the next descriptive and fleshing, fleshing those things out. We're going to be there in verse 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. So let's pray together, and uh, we will uh, dive in. God, we thank you for another day to be alive. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who has paid for our sins, who is our King and our Lord. We look forward to the day when we will be with Him. Lord, we pray that uh, since You are the definition of love, that You would teach us uh, what love is, and we can only know love ultimately through You. Help us, God, open our eyes now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so here we are in 1 Corinthians 13. Some would say this is where love is defined, and I would, I would uh, differ with that uh, because there is a difference between a, just something, I would say love is described here, not necessarily defined. You could say it's defined here. Actually, I consider God to be the definition of love. So, so, so there is a difference between a definition and a description like the definition of a piano is different from the, the description of a piano. Does it make sense? So it's, it, it is important, and it's also, uh, it's also held out semantically because there's not, a, there's not an attempt here, especially in the Greek, to give us a definition of love. It's actually a description of love. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love, and it uses it with action verbs, actually. Another number of translations miss the mark here. Again, I not, not, to, not to criticize translations because I'm, it's very hard to translate the Bible. Very hard. Very hard to translate out of a very sophisticated language like the Greek language and translate it into a much more rudimentary language like uh, English definitely is. So, but, but I'll say this, like for instance, NIV, when it comes to the description of love here, it lists each one of these words. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy, it's not boast, you know, here in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in, in the way I just said it, it, as they, it, it describes each one of these descriptives as predicate adjectives, and that's not the way it is in the Greek. Actually, in the Greek, each Greek word here is actually an action verb. Fifteen action words, not fifteen predicate adjectives. And it, it changes the way it comes across. Instead of love is patient, love is kind, hear it this way. Love acts patiently. It's an action Love acts with kindness. Love does not act with envy. You hear the difference? It's the difference between a descriptive and a definition, if you will. They're not going for definitions here. The Greek does not. It's going for a descriptive here. Love is an action, and that action is displayed here in 1 Corinthians. But like I said, these 15 action Greek action words. Love is something that we do. As they say, it's not an emotion, it's not this, it's not that. Yeah, very much so. It, in the scriptures, biblical love, God's love, is described, it is only cased in the term of action. The, 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 whole, the whole description calls into question the statement, love in action, right? We use that. I love him, but that was, you know, that was love in action over there. Well, love doesn't exist, biblical love, apart from action. It does not. 
Love is always in action. So we're going to be considering the second and third acts, if you will, uh, that describe love. So, so there in verse 4, if you're there in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient or love acts patiently. Love acts with or in kindness is the next one. Love acts in kindness. Acting in love in, the area, in this area is just the same as acting in love in the, in the area of patience. It affords us an incredible opportunity for a testimony because our world is devoid of these things. Devoid of patience. Devoid of kindness. It's such a great opportunity for us to demonstrate the, the work of God in our lives by treating people with kindness. Being kind. Random acts of violence, of course, is to be expected, it seems, anymore in our culture, but the days filled with in, all the more further examples of just how cruel people uh, can be toward each other. On the other hand, kindness shines. Are you being kind to people? Kind requires humility. It requires understanding that, that you probably wouldn't do any better or differently than if, if you were there in their shoes. And then just with that forgiveness, the heart of forgiveness, that you've been forgiven yourself. Being kind to someone, especially when they weren't expecting it. What a great opportunity we have. Like one officer said when he and his men were surrounded by the enemy, he said, men, we have the greatest opportunity afforded any army we can attack in any direction. When it comes to kindness, the same thing. We can really, literally, the world is our opportunity. It's a, it's a target, as they say, target-rich environment. Because there is not a place that kindness isn't needed, and in fact, even though people not realize it, wanted. We can go anywhere uh, with that, for sure. Kindness is a, uh, is a necessary thing. Kindness in the Scriptures is a commanded thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 32. It's going to be on the screen down here in the corner for you. Be kind. It's a commandment. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It's not a suggestion. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. After World War I, Herbert Hoover, who became our 31st president, but before he became our 31st president, he led an allied relief effort in Europe after World War I. And the relief effort kept literally thousands, tens of thousands of people from starving to death. I mean, his, his name became so synonymous with kindness that in, uh, in Finland they coined a new word, to Hoover someone, Herbert Hoover. To Hoover someone literally meant to be kind or compassionate toward them. So, so uh, what a great... What a great way to describe a, a name, isn't it? What if, what if we turned your last name into a verb? What would it be, to, in my case, to waddle someone? Wow, that's a great way to think about the way I'm acting and treating people and the way I'm driving down the road and the way I'm making decisions and the words that I'm using. I mean, those... What, what would it mean to change your last name, my last name, into a verb? So kindness is a commandment. Kindness reveals who we are, the Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 6. Notice, love your enemies. Do good. These, these are all kind things. T to enemies. That's, being, that's a kindness in a place where you weren't, they weren't expecting it. Do good. Lend. Hoping for nothing in return. How are you doing with that? And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. How you doing? How you doing with that? God, this is not a shocker, right? Has called us to be like Him. 
He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil, reveals who we are and whose we are. Kindness is also not just revealing, it's also powerful. Look at Romans chapter 12. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, this is kindness, right? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. This is a colloquial saying that just simply says, you're going to burn down this anger, this, uh, this animosity he has against you. Do not, here, notice the statement at the end. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, so first of all, envy, revenge, I should say, revenge does several things. Number one, it takes that which belongs to God, right? Do not, right? If, if uh, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Number two, it causes evil to win, because unless we act kindness, evil wins. To repay evil with evil means evil just gets the victory. To repay, if you really want to overcome evil, you overcome it with kindness. And in case you would beg to differ, that there's no way kindness can overcome evil, then you have to ask the guy who hung on the cross for your sins out of kindness to overcome evil and the evil one so that we could be with God forever. Wow. Hmm. Something to think about. Kindness destroys evil. So, 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 so our first uh, action word, at least for today, Love acts in kindness, and then our second action word there in verse 4. Love does not act, here's the negative, does not act in envy. This is not a descriptive of love. How do I know what love is? Well, it doesn't act in envy. When I'm seeing envy, jealousy, I'm not seeing, it's, they're mutually exclusive. I'm not seeing love. Let me ask you something. Are you prejudiced against um, People of a certain color? Well, I want you to know, I am. Might shock you, and even more shocking. So is the Bible, right? You're familiar with the red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Notice the, the color that's left out is the green color. To be green with envy, right? The Bible's very prejudiced against those who are envious. Very much so. Consider the prominent role, here's the reason, that envy has played in the sinful events that are recorded in the Scripture. Here's just, just a smattering of the major events that envy is the, center, the centerpiece of them. Watch, listen. Cain and Abel, first murder, why? Because Cain was envious of Abel's good stuff. Jacob and Esau, the whole story, mom and dad, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they were, they were it was all about envy. Joseph, of course, was thrown on the well out of envy from his brothers. Moses' leadership was rebelled against, first of all, by his own tribe, the Levites, and then secondly, by his own brothers and sisters. They were just envious of the position that God had placed him in. He was the most humble man in the world at that time. David spends years on the run because of Saul's insane envy. Again, envy plays such a great role. Haman, in the book of Esther, plots against the destruction of the entire Jewish nation out of what? Out of envy. He's envious. Daniel's throwing the lines in. Out of envy. Envy is a prominent sin. Powerful sin. Destroys many, many lives. Makes its way into the top ten list of those things that God commands against. You shall not covet. That is the commandment against envy. 
Coveting is to want what someone else has, and that's a portion or a, a facet of what envy. I'm envious of it. So let's, let's consider in particular how the word is used here since we're focusing on the descriptive of love. Let's, let's consider how the word is used here <coughs> in 1 Corinthians 13. The word here refers to both to two sides of the same coin, jealousy and envy. So the word actually is talking about both of those. And, and they're, like I said, two sides of the same coin. Jealousy is how I feel about what's already mine, whereas envy is how I feel about what is actually not mine, belongs to you. It's not just possessions, not just coveting what you have. It's all co- coveting or envious of, of your looks, possibly popularity, uh, position, uh, your friends, anything that you have that I don't have. That is envy. That is envy. Even, even competition. It's one thing to be competitive. It's another thing to be angry about the results. Again, that's envy. <coughs> that's envious. Love doesn't care, listen, that you have more or that you are more. Love doesn't begrudge of anything. Love is not envious, does not act in envy. <coughs> it does not. So what breeds envy? Let's, let's, let's deal with envy here together before we're done. What breeds envy? Well, number one thing that breeds envy is self-love. I love myself. We're teaching a culture to love themselves. It's a huge mistake. It's destroying us. It's undermining our culture. Nowhere in the scriptures are you told to love yourself. Nowhere, for a very good reason. For a very good reason. It's very sinful. I love myself, so I want to serve myself, either by sinful possessiveness in the face of your need, or by my desire of what you have, which of course is envy. So one of the main causes of envy is self-love. The second leading cause of envy is comparison, which is related to discontentment. So I look at what you have, and I wish is what I, you know, of course that's what envy is. And I'm discontent. I, until I saw what you had, I didn't realize I didn't have. I was happy with my stuff, but I became discontent when I began to look around. Benjamin Franklin made an interesting statement. Listen to this. He says, it is the eyes of other people that ruin us. It is the eyes of other people that ruin us. If, he says, if all but myself were blind, everybody's blind but him, I wouldn't care, he says, how I dressed or the house that I lived in. Isn't that interesting? See, it's the eyes of other people often that raise the price on our cars and on our houses and on our clothes. What, what would you be driving if no one else could see? What would you be living in what would change about the way that you dress? See, we're, we're controlled, we allow, I should say, ourselves to be controlled by the eyes of others. And part of that, listen, is discontentment and envy, part of our heart. Love does not act in envy. A third thing that causes, so first of all, discontentment, our, our comparison, self-love, and the third thing that causes uh, uh, envy is ingratitude. It's why the Bible says when we ask God things, we should ask with thanksgiving because it tempers our request. Not asking for ourselves, to burn it up on ourselves. We ask with evil intent because we intend to do it for ourselves. We're not asking really for anything else. It's, it, it, ingratitude 
I'm not thankful for what I currently have, so I'm looking enviously out of other things and discontent and uh, causes massive problems. So in order to break envy's grip, we need to do several things. Number one, be grateful. Be grateful. Again, every day you're not in hell is a good day. Because that is what you deserve. You're not getting that. Be grateful. Number two, learn to be content. Of course, we have to see this verse real quick, 1 Timothy 6. Godliness and contentment is great gain. You really want to make, you want to have a bunch of stuff? Be content with what you've got. You'll be rich. You're rich. Be content. God wants to add to it, great, but you're already content with what you have, and therefore you won't be mishandling the stuff that God adds to your life. He can just continue to add, and you won't become jealous about it. You won't become envious about it. You won't be, it won't start uh, owning you instead of you owning it. It starts with the contentment. That's where it starts. Learn to be grateful, number one. Learn to be content, number two. Number three, this is overcoming envy. Number three, change your focus. Self-love, self-focus is the antithesis of real love. Again, self-love, self-focus is the antithesis. It's the opposite of what real love is. Real love is others-focused. The Bible doesn't say love yourself. The Bible doesn't say hate yourself. The Bible says quit thinking about yourself, <laughs> effectively. Stop it. The world is self-focused. It seeks its own, focused on temporary things, but we should know better. Love does not envy, not self-focused. Focus should be on the things that are everlasting. When we are free, then we'll be free to love, self-giving instead of self-serving. Boy, does the world need people like that. That's the call Jesus has placed upon our lives called to serve him, called to represent him, called to demonstrate that we belong to him, and we do that, biggest way is the way that we love. There's only one way, and that's God's way. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you love us, just exactly like this description explains. Thank you so much, God. You're not precocious, you're not unpredictable you're not in it for yourself you're in it for us and god i pray that as your representatives as your children that we'd stop being in it for ourselves we'd be here for others that's what we're here for to give ourselves for the sake of others that they might know you thank you god for this lesson continue to teach us god we ask help us to be teachable in jesus name we pray Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.